Good morning. How are you all? You guys good? Ow! That's, that's good. That's a, that's, a, that's a worship leader there, right there. He is actually. They, what did they say? They know he's temperamental, mental and have a temper. That's, that's not true. My wife's a worship leader. She's wonderful. So could you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 14. I, wanna, I made up a word today, and um, I heard someone say recently, all words are made up, so I felt better. <laughs> but um, I call it religianity, and uh, I'm very, I, I like that word very much. I hope it sticks. But uh, religianity or Christianity, because people catch what you have, not what you say. If you had measles, people, you get around people, they get measles, they don't get mumps. Hello? People catch what you have, don't catch what you say. I wish that were true with parenting. I see things in my children, I'm like, yep, that's my fault. <laughs> totally my fault. But it's like that with all. So I'm just going to jump straight into this religianity or Christianity. But let me just first say, with the word re- religiosity or religianity or religious, I'm referring to it in a form of, because religion is in the Bible, like the word religion, but I, I refer to it as a form of something that has form but no life. A body that's left in the grave, the, the life is gone but the form is there. You can come to a service, go to a church, you can even have a quiet, you can go through the motions but there's no life. Jesus looked at the Pharisees, spiritual leaders of his day, and called them whitewashed sepulchres, whitewashed tombs. That's quite a thing to say. In other words, you look great on the outside with all your pomp and wonderful, but inside you're dead. I often wonder what Jesus, how he would address this generation, this offended generation. Sometimes he said some pretty direct things, man. We're going to get into some of them today. And he didn't apologize, nor did he explain. He said them and then just left. So, religionity, apparently I don't need that. Religionity or Christianity. So, go to Matthew 5, please. Actually, stay in Luke 14. That's fine. Matthew 5, 13 and 14, because it'll come up behind you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. Jesus said that. Talking about you. Talking about me. Matthew Henry, the great commentator who's passed away, he said one of the most useless things on the earth is a saltless Christian. Because God can leave, at least he can still save a sinner. There's something God can do with that. But a saltless Christian, where there's no salt left, there's no fire, there's no spice, there's no, which we'll get into what that means for them. So read it again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, because salt itself is seasoning, yeah? You can't season season. So if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. They used to cast it onto the paths where they used to walk once it had been leached out, and says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp, Spirit of God inside you, and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That is not good works to do to earn God's love or salvation. You can't do that. That's what happens to a person's heart and in their life practically once they've actually seen him and met him and know him. Luke, uh, Colossians 4, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, not outside the building. 
unbelievers, people that are not Christians, that are not in Christ, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace. The religious pointing finger, that doesn't help. Seasoned with salt, so it may burn a little, but it comes across in love, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Luke 14, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, this is the last two verses of the chapter that we're going to, by the grace of God, get through an entire chapter today. We all know that's going to be, has to be the Lord with me. So, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying this and he's like, turn your ear to what I'm saying. So, you are salt. The Bible in the New Testament says you as believers, Jesus, you are salt, light, and leaven. Salt, light, and leaven is most of the time in the Bible used to describe sin, but Jesus used it once to describe you. A little bit infects the whole bunch in a good way. You are salt, light, and leaven. So, we're going to go through Luke 14 as, as much as we can. And I want to, we're just going to look at it from the lens of Jesus, what he was facing in this religious world. So religious that they couldn't even see who stood in front of them. And religianity, that's, our, that's my new word. And we're going to look at five things that the enemy often uses to put that salt, that, that freshness, that fire, that passion. He often, a lot of people say, well, you sin. Yeah, he can, but that's like so obvious. He's actually very smart. And so he will use outward what looks good. Because the enemy does not mind. I think, I cannot remember who it was. Some of the, I won't call them old. What do we? Some of the wonderfully wise people in our midst may remember this. It was a famous statement. I forget who said it. I think it was by a gentleman who came out of a really difficult world. He said, and he was in a sense working with the enemy, I think in some form of occult. And he said, when will Christians realize that if the enemy had his way, he would have a country where the churches are full, but full with people that don't know the Lord. And so the enemy doesn't mind churches that are full. The enemy doesn't mind that. Religianity, he's not afraid of religianity. But Christianity? Oh, he's terrified of that. The real thing? Terrified of that. So we're going to look at Luke 14. Five areas where religiosity tries to creep in to dull, to kill, to put Christians to sleep. Five areas, and then we're going to take most of our time on that in the last few minutes. Five ways that we are called to be salt. So, let's read. Luke 14, 1. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees and said, Whoa, the spirit has fallen. Thank you, Jesus. Let it rain. What's that? That's that scripture. So, he says, yeah, and Jesus answering... Sorry, they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. Verse 2. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Some translations say sent him away. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? 
and they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told them, so he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. That's a nice thing to hear. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give your place to that man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him. So he now turns his, his focus on the host. He addresses this host's guests. Now he turns to the host. And he says, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Five areas, I'm going to put this over here, maybe safer. Five, five areas where religious religianity creeps in. Firstly, Religious regulation. Jesus addresses the host, and he speaks to the people. And so Jesus is here at this, the Bible says he was a prominent Pharisee. He was like the, the guy, the dude. He wasn't just like run-of-the-mill Pharisee. He was like the guy. So he, you have to be invited to this. This isn't like a public thing. You have to have an invitation. So Jesus is invited to this. Have you ever felt out of place? I'm just trying to paint a picture because sometimes we have to see what was going on here for the truth to impact our hearts. So Jesus has invited. But now if you look at Luke 6, just quickly, Luke 6, it'll come up behind you. It says here, now it happened on another Sabbath because this was on a Sabbath. On a Sabbath, they weren't allowed to do no work. They still like that. The whole, everything shuts down for 24 hours. I mean, everything. They even set the elevators to go from floor to floor and open. You're not allowed to walk upstairs. They're not allowed to push a button. No work on the Sabbath. Right, Debbie? There we go. She's, she's come from there. Everything shuts down. Luke 6, it says, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, him being Jesus, whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. So let me paint you a picture. Here's a, now it's a, it's a Sabbath, but now it's in the synagogue, public place. And the, wow, I really did make a mess. And, and, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders are standing there, and they, they pick a man out of a crowd. Think about this in today's world. Because he has an obvious ailment. And they literally abuse him. They pick him out of a crowd and say, hey, he didn't ask for that. He's probably like, me, no, no, no. That's what they do. Because he has an obvious ailment. They exploit him. They don't love him. They don't care about him. There's no compassion for him. They do that. Think about that in today's world, the offense that would happen. Out of a crowd. Hey, you, with a withered hand. To exploit him just to trap someone else. Jesus. The only one in that room that loved that man was the Lord. 
but there's now tension in the room. There's animosity in the room. People are nervous in the room. And this was frequent. They tried to trap him. Now it's at a Pharisee's house. You have to have an invitation, right? So it's not a public place. And the Jews, the, the, the law of the land, the way they interpreted the law at that time, they would often have the lame, the blind, the maimed, the lame, and, the, and, the, and the, whatever that list was. Those people wouldn't really be allowed to participate in the full worship experience like the rest would. So the man with dropsy wouldn't normally be here. If you know culture, you know that. I think, I don't know this, but if you read between the lines, he's a plant. You know, when you have a little political thing and you plant people in the room. This is a plant, I believe. He shouldn't be there. And then when Jesus healed him, he left. So here you have someone, because this man with dropsy, he had to be invited too. So he's invited. They know this Jesus man, he loves people. Loves people, loves to heal people, loves to help people. And so they plant this man right there in front of him, boom. Because they didn't want Jesus healing on the Sabbath. It enraged them. Why? Because the, they associated healing as a work of God, a work. And the Sabbath is clear, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 5 in the Old Testament, and they were so built like that, you can do no work on the Sabbath. So they're trying to trap him, exploiting someone else. Think about that. One of the commentaries said, their outrage at Christ came from the interpretation of what God said in the law, not from the law itself. And we see many of the same things today. They interpreted the law a certain way. He is the one who wrote the law. And he knows what they're thinking. And they're going to exploit this man. They've planted him there probably. He shouldn't be there, but he's been invited to exploit him. And Jesus heals the man, as we know, and sends him away. But he does this. He exposes their religious, their, their religious regulations so much. He said so because it's not against the law to pick a donkey or an ox out of a pit if they fall in there because they need help. So he says, so, so you okay, religious leaders with picking an animal, with rescuing an animal, but you won't let me rescue this person. Religious regulations that come into the church, into God's people, and start to fit all these things that start when people start to suffer, that have lost the truth behind the letter, that have lost the love behind the letter. It's just the letter. Everywhere Jesus went, he dealt with us. Everywhere. Stay there. Everywhere he went. Religious regulation conceals, often conceals people from truth that sets free. They can know the Bible off by heart and miss it completely. These guys knew the word by heart, these Pharisees. They knew it literally by heart. By the time they were 14, 15, the whole thing. But they missed the point. Religiosity, religianity. Second, religious advancement. Then he comes and he notes, he notes that they're all trying to take the best seat. It's very sad to see this amongst God's people. Nevertheless, God's leaders, leaders in God's house, focused on positions, titles, promotions, us, prominence, you know? 
And this is what's literally being displayed in front of Jesus there. And he says this, when you're invited to a wedding. Now that wasn't a wedding. But he says, when you're invited to a wedding, don't take the best seat. Why does he say that? He says, listen, I'm here to invite you to a wedding one day. There's a wedding coming. Yeah, I'm here to invite you to that. You're so preoccupied with this. You don't even know who I am and why I've come. I'm here to invite you to a wedding. I wrote that law. I know it better than you. You've missed it completely. Your hearts are so full of religionity that you can't see him. Because promotion in this kingdom does not come from what is literally being displayed in front of him. But that's how it comes to the religious world. Who sits where? Who knows who? Who's the best Christian? Who's the best preacher? Who's the best this? And, and, and that stuff comes into the church. It comes to us all. It comes to us all. And we get hoodwinked by it so quickly. And I see this throughout the church. I've seen it in my own life. It just, you just have to be aware of it. Just have to be aware of it. He says, but when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes and says to you, friend, go up higher. Friend, friend. He's teaching us something about his kingdom here. He says, listen, my kingdom does not operate. Promotion in my kingdom doesn't come with what you're doing. So he says, friend, not apostle, not pastor, not preacher, not CEO, not boss. Friend, I know you. You know me. In this kingdom, it's relationship. Relationship. Friend. But they focused on everything else other than friend. And he says, friend, go up higher. Because where religious regulation tends to conceal people from truth, religious advancement, because that's what we're talking about now, advancement when you it's all about how can I advance in this religious world how can I advance when I got saved I went from the the prodigal son from being really good at being bad to the, to the first to that son to the to the older son getting caught up in all the stuff in the church being more enraptured by the church than by Jesus and God had to deal with my heart and you have to die, and he has to deal with your heart. And I've seen people, I often say, Lord, when people come, let them leave knowing more about you than about free life. More, than you, more about you than about me or leadership or about you. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Religious advancement infects our hearts in a way that we miss what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Because our focus is somewhere else. Even in other religions, it's like that. It's, a comp it's like spiritual competition. Who's the best? Who can pray the longer? Who can? And the whole thing is missed. Am I speaking to some people? You're thinking about, yeah, that guy. Mm. Yeah. We'll get to that point next. No, I'm just. Now, the way I'm reading this, I wouldn't want to be this host. Now Jesus turns, now he's addressing the people. Now he turns to the host. If I was a host, I'd be like, oh boy. And he basically says, listen, bud, this is all coming down from you. You're the leader here. This whole thing, it's coming. It's filtering down from your heart. Because that's the reality. He says, when you give a dinner or a supper, 
Don't invite those who can pay you back. He said, listen, this is very generous and it's great, but everybody knows it's generous. It makes you look great. You've missed the whole point. Missed the whole point. He said, invite those who can pay you back and that follows you through death into eternity. I'll pay you back one day. And let me tell you, you want the Lord to pay you back. That's a whole different thing. The Bible says when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. Oh, his return is different. So he talks about it, but it's what I call keeping up with the Joneses. Now, I didn't know if keeping up with Joneses is like a British English saying or like an American English saying. So I looked it up, and it literally means this. An English idiom referring to the comparison of one's neighbor. Never mind love your neighbor. The comparison of one's neighbor as a benchmark for society. And that happens in the Loudoun County. Hello. Not who are you, what do you do? Not how are you, what do you do? What car do you drive? Now that comes into the church. Religious advancement. Titles, status. I'll be blunt and I'll say, I think it makes the Lord sick. Honestly. And I've had it in my heart at times. Thank the Lord he showed me this, set me free from that, where you just, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Think about what that room was like while he's teaching here. Then, religious arrogance or pride. People say, this is a nice light meeting. <laughs> so he, he, he comes here, Luke 14, and he says, you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And someone says this, I think, I feel sorry for this guy. Because he says, you know, when you open your mouth, you're like, oh man, totally messed that up. Like, what? Just shush, Clayton. He says, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. What he's doing is he's reveling in his mind about the glory of what it's going to be to eat at that feast in the coming, in the, coming the marriage supper of the Lamb, in the kingdom of God, in the presence, physical presence of God. And he's like, oh, what that'll be. And it's like he's totally missed what the Lord's saying. Because he's assumed, well, obviously I'm going to be there. Hello. And Jesus then goes into a parable because he said that. Religious arrogance, religious pride. It was like Jesus saying, hey, listen, your seat at this table does not guarantee you a seat at that table. Why do you think it does? It's not about your status, your title, your position, your wealth, your church. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus Christ? That's it. Paul faced a similar thing. Let's go to Acts 17. Acts 17 says this. This for me is one of the greatest sermons, one of the greatest pieces of literature that I have ever read. And I say that, I don't say that lightly. It's absolutely phenomenal. Acts 17, Paul goes into this Eropagus. Some people know it as Mars Hill. It was where the temple of Diana was. Next to it, the temple of Ares, the god of war. It was an extremely religious area, spiritual area. The, the Stoic philosophers, all the different Plato philosophers, all these philosophers gathered. The, 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 the smartest of the, the, the brainiest of the brainiest, the smartest of the smart, absolute geniuses, these incredibly sometimes famous philosophers and poets, all these guys would gather in this Acropolis, in this area. And they would debate and look how smart we are. And, and so they were so overly religious that the entire city was filled with statues and temples and idols and to all the gods that they could think of. So much so that they built one called to the unknown God. They're like, just in case. 
just in case, you know. And so Paul, smarter than them all, by the way, he goes in there and he uses this as an angle to teach them the gospel. And he says this, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Very religious. Grew up in church, was confirmed, went to children's church. Very religious. For as I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. He's like, oh, I know who he is. He says, God, this is brilliant, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands. And that's not this, that's chiseling idols. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Think about what Paul's doing. He's standing in the stronghold of the enemy, the center of intelligence and philosophy and religious thought. And he's declaring the simple truth and it's cutting across everyone's grain. You talk about courage. And he says, and he has made, sorry, verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He's just called them all wrong. All the stuff you're doing, you missed it. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he made from one blood that destroys racism, castes, systems, superiority. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of all the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He quotes their poets. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God made in his image, We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. He's just torn strips of all of them by saying that. Truly, these times of ignorance, God just called them ignorant. These times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day, marriage feast, he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, meaning this part that Jesus fulfilled on your behalf if you're in him and you're saved. That's grace. But you will be judged by it if you're not. And he says, he has appointed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, capital M, son of man, Messiah, That's Jesus, whom he has ordained and has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus faced religious arrogance and pride all through his time. He faced it then, we face it now. It's in the church, global church, it's filled with it. Paul faced it in his day. And it's by the simple, the foolishness of preaching That's what he did. 
he stood up in the most brilliant and with the foolishness of preaching, he said, this is the truth. It's so simple. So simple. And just Jesus. Not all these other things. We have it today. Religious arrogance. I could also call it religious superstitiousness. We have holy days. Special days. Days that are more important on our religious calendar than the other. And I don't mean to offend, but if I do, I'll be blunt. Go read the Bible. One day is not above the other. Special people. Special clothes. Soulish philosophy. Superstitious. Infiltrated the church. And the enemy floods it in because it looks and sounds great and dulls and kills the power and the love in the heart. The simplicity of the cross of Christ. Bible says there is salvation found in no other than the name of Jesus Christ under heaven by which men must be saved. No other. Not because he's non-inclusive. That's ridiculous. Sorry, but it is. It's because he's the only one that can deal with death and the devil. It's by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Religious and spiritual competition infects the hearts, causes them to miss the spirit, like I said. But religious pride is what causes people to lose intimacy with God because he opposes the proud. Look at us. Look at what we're doing. I cannot tell you how I've had to not fight this in terms of it rises up in my heart. Thank the Lord it hasn't. But people come, well-meaning people. Wow, you were this. or Wow, this church. or Wow, that. And I just walk away and I say, Lord, but by your grace but by your grace, but by your grace. Because his measure of success, friends, is not ours. Can the people hear my voice? Do they know me? Do they know my heart? <laughs> Let's read on. This poor man opened his big mouth. So then in, in reply to him, he says, oh, I'm going to be... So did you, Seat at this table, friend, doesn't guarantee your seat there, your status here. He says, verse 16, Then he said to him, he tells the great parable of the great supper, famous story, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, so there were those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Very polite. I reject salvation, but very politely. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test him. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here, and he lists the same list he listed in verse 13, the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Bring them in. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. And still there's room. There's always room in the kingdom. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges. Some translations say the highways and the byways. This is a prophetic picture of it actually was a further thing in distance. It's speaking about the Gentiles. Go beyond you, beyond your borders, beyond what you're comfortable with. He says, go out into the hedges and highways and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those who were invited 
shall taste my supper. I'm talking about religious vaccinations. Now, vaccination is a buzzword, but that's not the one I'm talking about. Okay? Religious vaccinations, inoculation. Jesus is saying, this is the age, because the way they used to do it then, the administrators, listen up, you're going to love this, those gifted administrators, which I'm not, they would send out an invitation way in advance. My office is going to remind me of that. Way in advance that there was this big feast and wonderful thing coming. Then when it arrived, they would send another person, say, the time is now. Jesus is saying, here on the earth now is the time to extend the invitation about what's to come. When I come back, I'm saying, the time is now. He's talking about the spreading of the gospel. Because this man said, oh, I'm going to be there. He's like, "Mm, maybe not. But what happens here is who? You get three groups there. You get the invited. You get those who are to bring them in. And you get compelled. But those who are invited, very interesting, it's like a religious vaccination. What is a vaccination? You get enough, a little bit of something, to make you immune to the real thing. I grew up in church. I grew up in some form of religious activity, religianity. Just enough, just enough, that when I'm old enough, it makes my heart immune to the real thing. And so there's no value in it. There's no urgency in it because it's not real to you because you've, you've been vaccinated against it with all the religious trappings. And so they bring up the excuses, possessions, professions, and people. I bought a piece of land. I, I, I'm not going to bother with the kingdom now. I'm just very busy. Professions. I bought five yoke of art. I'm starting a business. Lord, I'm starting a business. Things are busy. I just got married. Loudoun County. Hear me, please. These are all the things that the disciples walked away from when Jesus called them. Professions, possessions, and people. Now, I can say that in a way that's like, are you telling me I must leave my job? No. Of course I'm not. Please keep your job. People will take your place very quickly. But the point is, it's what's happened in the heart with like this religious vaccination. It's like just enough, just a lot of religion to make me immune to the real thing. To the real thing. When it's real, you wouldn't question it. When Jesus called him, he up it. Let's go. Because when it's real, it's here in your heart. It overwhelms you. It has power and authority and beauty and love and authenticity. And it turns you inside out and upside down. And you'll die for him. But when it's not real, it's like, okay, what should I do? Leave. Okay, I probably should leave. You know, it doesn't work. Hello? I'm just trying to be practical. It doesn't work. Because we've been vaccinated sometimes by this religianity. The servant says, Lord, they won't come. And as I said, some he invited. Some he said, bring. Why? Why bring? Because there are people that are actually desperate 
for the truth? Desperate. But there's a brokenness, the maimed, the lame, the poor, and the blind. There's a brokenness in them, whether it's addicts, whether it's prostitutes, whether it's extremely insecure, whatever. There's a brokenness in them. They will not come on their own accord. They won't. They just won't. There's something in them. They're not going to come on their own accord. So those you don't invite, you bring. Come with me. Then there's those who have no idea that there's even a marriage feast coming. Which he was talking about Gentiles. How is They're not even part of your culture. They're not part of your world. They have no idea that there's a day coming. He says those you make them. Compel them. Come. It's not force them against their will. It's I'll do anything. In love. Not against their will. Not pointing the religious finger. Not with religiosity. But love, love. The Great Commission, friends, it calls to us all. Even as I'm speaking, your heart, you can feel it. Why? Because you are salt. Salt is not what you do. It's your part of your DNA. You are salt. It calls to you inside. You are, you are light. It calls to you. It beats in your heart. But religiosity destroys it all. Religious performance, last one. There's a performance mindset, especially in this culture, and it's definitely in evangelism. It's another trap of the enemy. Even in evangelism, it becomes performance. Coulds and woulds and shoulds. I should have, I know it's the right thing to do. And performance, performance, performance. Matthew 9 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know that phrase there, send out? You know what the Greek word is there? Ekbalo. Love this word. Almost every other time in the Bible, it's used a lot in the New Testament, it's used to cast out demons. That's that phrase. It means to thrust out with violence. It's not like, okay, off you go. Enjoy your trip. It's not send out like that. It's cast out. Literally. When he said to demon, get out. That's what he did to his disciples. Get out there. Oh, we don't like that. Ekbalo. He cast them out. Go. So we hear that and we're like, oh, okay. Perform. I've got four notches, four people say, four notches in my belt. How many? How many? Religious performance. What is the truth in that verse? The Lord of the harvest. It's, he's the Lord of the harvest, not you. Meaning what? It's so freeing. You're a sower. You sow. You sow. What happens to that seed? It's not up to you. A performance mindset, we go out for results. I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to do this. And nothing happens. Well, it's not working. No. Don't allow performance to dictate your passion and your compassion and your commitment. and your be- Why? Because you're not the Lord of the harvest. You're not the one who's going to sometimes do that. You sow. 1 Corinthians 10. Some water, some plant, God brings an increase. John 4. One man sows, another man reaps. In other words, I'm reaping right now as a church. We are reaping. They are wonderful people in our midst. They have just come. Secure, whole, strong in the Lord, mature. I didn't do any of that. Hello? Someone else did all that work. Now they sit here. Thank you, Jesus. One man sows, another man reaps. 
What if you call to just sow for 10 years? You think, well, I, I'm not seeing a return. You're not the Lord of the harvest. Just sow. It's not results. That's religianity. Just sow, just sow, just sow, just sow. The power is in the seed, not in you. Then the seed is the word, Mark 4. Just sow. No, I'm sowing. Just walk around. Yeah. I'm sowing. That's, that's it. You go to Starbucks, someone in your heart, you're like, hey, you just strike up a conversation, not, let me tell you about the blood of Jesus. You're like, whoa, it's, it's, it doesn't work. Don't go out for results. Go out to love, to love, to love. But don't compromise truth because salt burns. He is the Lord of the harvest. What if you just, some of you, literally, sitting in this room, are like waterers. Someone else plants a seed, and they get around, you get around you, and you just feel, they just water you. They don't even try. They just water. They're like, well, I've never like, preached, and I've never gone to the streets. I'm like, yeah, but you water everyone. People grow around you. Oh, I don't have time for this story. I'm going to take the time. Thank you, Jesus. I went into a, a, some coffee shop somewhere, and uh, the Lord told me clearly, boom, tell her, pray for her right knee. There's something wrong with her right knee. So I'm like, I go up, hey, <laughs> hey, um, so, hi. So I, you know, I want an Americano. That's, she's behind the counter. There's a line behind me, you know. So I said, hey, uh, do you have anything wrong with your right knee? I know that's kind of strange. She's like, what? So I'm like, you know, your right knee, like that one? She's like, no. I'm like, great. Okay, thank you. I'll have a coffee. <laughs> and she's like, so I'm like, maybe we can go under, you know. And she's like, whoa, why did you ask about my knee? I'm like, well, now I can't lie. So I said, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God wants to speak to all his people. And I believe he told me there's something wrong with your knee and wanted me to pray for it. She goes, well, there's nothing wrong with my knee. So I'm like, yeah, I probably just made a mistake. She's like, okay. And she gave me my coffee, and I left. And I didn't go back there for two months. <laughs> and, and then, it's true, then I went back there, forgot what had happened, went back there, and I walk in, and there she is. I'm like, huh, well, that's great. I'm thinking, she serves so many people, she won't remember me. I walk in, she points at me, you're that man. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, Jesus. And she said, you're that man who asked about my, my right knee, right? Like loud. I'm like, uh-huh. She said, why did you say you asked again? So I said, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus Christ. And he speaks to people. She said, well, I left that day and got in a car accident. And the only thing that was damaged was my right knee. And then she literally says to me, who, who do you believe in again? And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Now I'm like, well, let me tell you. You know, totally different attitude, right? But friends, you are not the Lord of the harvest. I could have easily left and be like, well, messed that up. Even that didn't matter. I just obeyed. And if God wanted to use it to teach me to be humble, that's great. The world is sick and tired of religianity. But it is desperate for Christianity. 
desperate. Real Christianity, friends, is the most exciting way to live. On the edge, with truth burning in your heart like fire. And love for people. It's a love you cannot understand. I feel it in my heart. When I, that's my wife. We go out and I literally feel a love in my heart for this person. It's not human. I've never met them. He will shed abroad in his heart the love of his by the Holy Spirit. Don't lose your saltiness. <laughs> I'm going to take a little bit. You guys, you guys feel good? I want to talk to you very quickly about salt. If we don't understand what they, and because that's how the chapter ends. Salt is good. He tells all the stuff, Jesus, and then he speaks about salt. In other words, he's saying, you lost your saltiness, religious leaders. Religianity has got all sorts of a hold of you, and you ain't salt no more. Now, if I spoke like that in South Africa, they would have shot me. But now I live in America, and I can speak like that. So, Luke 14. Luke 4, verse 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land or the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like, please hear me is what he's saying. Now, we don't understand salt like they did. It's very different for us. It's not kitchen table salt. It was a big part of their life. If salt was, val- if salt was pure, like a pure salt, we don't know what that is. Um, well, we don't see it much today anyway. But if salt was pure, they would actually use it. The Roman army would use it to pay their soldiers. It was that precious. It was considered like finances. They would use it to trade. They would use it to exchange for goods. Salt. In fact, the Latin word, our word salary, comes from the Latin word sell, which comes from salt, that practice. That's where we get our word salary from, salt. So he says, you are salt. In other words, he said it in those days. You are extremely valuable because I've put my spirit within you to do business, to do my father's business. Now, let's pretend for a second that there's no insecurity in this room. Okay? There's no fear. There's no insecurity. We all have no issue with just going and speaking to people or loving our neighbor or just watering. It's not just about doing, but sometimes we've got to step out of our little worlds and actually do something that may cause some difficulty, whatever. But let's pretend, yeah, we're all good with that. And the reason I say that is because if I don't, in a performance culture, it'll just become in your mind another could, would, should. So let's pretend, yeah, we have no problem with that at all. Like, we're good with that. What does salt do? What, in their world, what did it mean for them? Because it's important. Well, firstly, practically, real quick, salt was used for manure. So the cheaper, like our salt, like we have with the snow or ice, the cheaper site would be, cheaper salt would be thrown on top of a dung hill, which was outside the city. It's literally animal dung. You can use another word if you want. But the addition of salt would drastically decrease the release of ammonia. And what actually changed that dung into something that was useful, made it a little bit like, like compost, and it also took the smell away. Right? So Jesus said, if you're not like salt, you can't even be used for the dung hill or for the land. Then that, that manure and compost would be taken and used to, to make the land fertile. People's hearts. To put it on hard ground so that something can grow there that never could grow before. 
So now we're going to do what we call a self-apply. Okay, that's what he meant. Let's apply it to us. The addition of you. You are salt. The addition of you in a situation can create life that was not formally possible. The addition of you, God will look for a stinky situation and look. I, need, I see this terrible situation. It smells. It's not, no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to deal with it. Well, that's fine. I have salt on the earth. I'm going to take one of mine. I'm going to put them in the middle of this stinky situation because the addition of you takes that smell away and causes something that was waste to become useful. The addition of you in your company, in your family, in your neighborhood, you are salt. Not religiousity, Christianity. Salt. Salt was also used as a catalyst for fire. Someone would have a very common chore in the home. There were areas of Israel back then, areas where there's some areas where there's trees, but some areas where it's quite barren. So what do you use for fire? They would actually place these little clay ovens along the path in those days. And they would, someone would have the common chore. They would take like this kind of salt and they would go pack it with that manure that was already made from that. They would go pack and make these paddies and stick them out in the sun and they would use that for pellets to burn in the oven. And then they would put a tile in the oven at the bottom and on the sides and they would pack salt in to retain the heat better. And that would cause the salt to be leached out. That was packed in and the, with the stuff that it would burn would obviously be burnt. They would take that leached salt and then throw it on the path there for people to walk on. So, self-apply. What does that mean for us? What God has put... Jesus, literally, they understood this. Please understand what I'm saying. It's not just some fancy thing I'm doing. This is what they understood when he said, you are the salt of the earth. God has put his spirit in you. He said, I'm sending one, another helper. He's put his spirit in you to be a catalyst for fire. That where you go and those around you, fires begin to burn in people's hearts. And I've found when I'm outward focused, lay the hand, say the word, speak to the person, take that step, just forget about your reputation and start to be so. When, you, when I'm outward focused, the result of that is something begins to burn in my heart like a fire. Even if I'm making mistakes, even if I'm not doing perfectly well in all these things, that's religionity. But burn, something burns inside of me when I'm inward focused. And you know, us four no more, let's get blessed again, let's get healed again, let's just don't invite others, that's us little charismatic circles. Oh, it just becomes weird. But when I'm outward focused, out there, out there, out there, fire of God burns, there's a heat that comes to your reality of your walk with the Lord. Because you are salt. Two more salt-preserved flesh from corruption. That's what they used to use. Living flesh, it burns. You cut, <whistles> pack it in salt. Africa, I used to do that. I was told when I got here, that's strange. If we cut ourselves, teenagers, we would wash it with a scrubbing brush, hurt, grab salt, <whistles> pack it on. Oh, man, let me tell you about pain. But a couple days, gone. You know, and if your buddies are around you, you're like, no, doesn't hurt at all. But inside, you're screaming, you know, like, no. You were around the corner like tears. To living flesh, self-apply. The addition of you, the addition of you 
into another person's life can keep them from rottenness and decay. Infection. The addition of you. If you go in there and be, realize, I'm actually salt. It's not about you. It's what you carry. It's who you carry. That makes you salty in a good sense. And in dead flesh, like meat, it was used to preserve. And I won't get into that now, but that has to do with putting down the flesh. Jesus said a strange thing in Mark chapter 9. Have salt within yourselves. That's what he said. Because salt keeps the old flesh, dead flesh. You've been, you are died, you died with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. It keeps that from coming back up. Being outward focused. Two more. You guys still good? Let me land. Salt brings out flavor. Oh, this one. You know that salt brings out flavor in food that's already there? Think about that. It brings out flavor in food that's already there. Have you ever got around a broken person? There's such wonder and beauty that God has put in them, but no one can see it. Your interaction with them will bring out beauty that's already there. All gold is covered by dirt. Someone took the time to deal with your junk and your dirt. God wants to put you in another person's life so that the flavor that's there can come out. But it may be dirty. Maybe, yeah, not so nice. You know, it is a sad thing to me. I believe with all my heart, and I've heard people say this, but I believe it in my heart. The church, the salt of the earth, God's people, should be leading the way in creativity in the world. Creativity, artistry, beauty, music. Wonderful things. To lead the way. But instead, we know by what we disapprove of, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. No, lead the way. In beauty and art and painting and dancing and joy and family and community and celebrations and feasting. To bring flavor out of the world. Not make the world gray and sad and serious and somber. Oh, he had three beers instead of two. Oh my gosh, get over it. I'm going to hear about that one. Salt makes thirsty. I'm thirsty now. Salt makes thirsty. I found, I, I enjoy meat sometimes, a lot. Who of you, which of you guys have eaten too, more than meat than you should have in a meal? But you wake up in the middle of the night like, <coughs> right? Yeah, it seems to make you thirsty afterwards. What's the point? The addition of you into a person's life, into a community, into a group, What do they thirst for when you've left? (coughs) Seriously. What thirst do you leave? What comes up in their heart when you've left? I've prayed for this one for years and years in my own life. When I leave, Lord, it's not about when I leave, that I thirst for truth, for truth, for presence, for him begin to rise in the heart. And then you get a phone call. You know, I just, can I just see you? Or can I just, I don't know. They don't know why. Salt. You are the salt of the earth. There's a crazy world around us right now. We can complain about it. Or we can remember what Christianity is. 
Well, you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your seasoning in this season. Amen? Can we stand? <coughs> Excuse me. Josh, can I just hand over to you? Can you come? Actually, can I pray for us? I guess I'm going to, so I shouldn't have asked. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray for anything that is of me to fall away, but your word to remain, and your word to pierce, for your word is unchained and powerful. God, I thank you for your loving grace, and I pray that each one of us in our heart, there's no performance here, there's no religionity here, but Christianity, oh Lord, what a life that is. We love you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for visiting. If you have been, otherwise, please remember to get a, a gift on your way out. We will have a ministry team over here ready to pray for everybody. Men in this room, 7.30 on Friday night. Otherwise, have fun being salty. <laughs> Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We are so glad you've joined us today. We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can connect with you. To submit a card, simply scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you're a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you! Today is the last day to register for Dinner for Eight. We hope you're able to participate with us in building relationships with the Free Life family. Sign up to share a meal with others. Groups of eight adults will be formed to take turns hosting potluck dinners for the group. Groups can be singles, couples, or families. Check out all the details on our registration page. Sign up today. Bon appetit. Calling all men. Come join other men this Friday, March 25th for a night of worshiping together. This will be a special night of encouragement in the Holy Spirit to take your place as strong men and leaders. Ladies, only a few more days to register for an evening of bowling at the branch on March 26th. Space is limited for bowlers and registration closes Tuesday, so sign up today if you plan to bowl. If bowling isn't your thing, no worries. Come for the fellowship. We'd love to see you there. Have you ever wondered what God could be saying through your dreams? We'll be hosting a Dreams and Visions seminar on Saturday, April 2nd. Come join us as we learn more about the mysterious way God speaks to us. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving, and we invite you to give toward the work God is doing through us. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. We thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates in our newsletter. Simply text free life to 41400 to sign up. Remember to learn about all our upcoming events. Please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.